The Guardian. Uh, questions to the Prime Minister, Karen Bradley. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Karen Bradley. Morelands recognise that the government needs to take difficult decisions to deal with the deficit. Yeah. But does the Prime Minister shiver when he thinks about what would have happened if he'd not put a credible fiscal plan into place? Well, I think the Honourable Lady makes a good point, and it is actually, I think, worthwhile listening to what the Managing Director of the IMF said yesterday. She said this, when I think back myself, to May 2010, when the UK deficit was at 11%, and I try to imagine what the situation would be like today if no such fiscal consolidation programme had been decided, I shiver. That is what she said. And we should remember who was responsible for leaving that situation. Doubling the national debt, a record deficit, a catastrophic inheritance, and one for which we still haven't had an apology. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, Adrian Beecroft, the Prime Minister's adviser, says the law should be changed to allow employers to fire people at will. The Business Secretary says it is the last thing government should do. Who does the Prime Minister agree with? But we need to make it easier for businesses to grow, for businesses to take people on, for businesses to expand. The Beecroft report, which I commissioned, had a number of excellent ideas that we are taking forward. We're doubling the qualifying period for unfair dismissal. We're exempting businesses with less than 10 people from new EU regulations. We're exempting a million people who are self-employed from health and safety. We are consulting on no-fault dismissal, but only for micro-businesses. It was a good report, and it's right that we take forward its best measures. But, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister didn't answer the question about the, about the proposal. No, he didn't answer the question. M- Mr Beecroft made a proposal that employers should be able to fire their employees at will. Now, the people behind him think the Beecroft proposal is the great report, is the bee's knees, and they support the proposal. The people over there think it's a bonkers proposal, and the Business Secretary has been going around saying it. We just want to know where the Prime Minister stands. Who does he agree with? It's rather sad. He didn't listen to my answer. (laughs) Yes, we have a call for evidence on no-fault dismissal for micro-businesses. We're not proceeding with it for other businesses. That is the position. I'm not surprised. I know he worries about being fired at will for being incompetent. I wonder how long it took him to think that one up. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister Minister says he's consulting on the proposal. This is what the author of the proposal, Mr Beecroft, said, and I quote, Some people will be dismissed simply because their employer doesn't like them. While this is sad, I believe it is a price worth paying. Mr Speaker, that's what they used to say about unemployment. Is he really telling us that with record numbers out of work, Sacking people for no good reason is a price worth paying. He might.
it while he's on his feet welcome the fact that unemployment is falling, inflation is falling, and this government has cut the deficit by 25%. But let me actually explain to him what the government and what the business secretary are actually doing. We are cutting regulation by £3 billion. We are scrapping 1,500 regulations. We are looking at introducing fees for employment tribunals. We are taking all of these steps, which have led to the greatest number of small business start-ups last year in the country's history. Of course, he cannot support any changes to employment regulation because he's in the pocket of the trade unions. In case he's not noticed, his business secretary doesn't support his proposal. And, and what double standards? When it comes to ordinary, when it, when it, oh yeah, when, when it, when it comes to ordinary workers, he wants to make it easier for employers to sack them. When it comes to Andy Coulson and the culture secretary, it's all about second chances. Can, can the prime minister tell us what impression he thinks it gives about his government? that he commissions advice from a multi-millionaire who recommends making it easier to sack people on low pay, at the same time as giving people like him tens of thousands of pounds in a millionaire's tax cut. I tell you what we do on this side of the house. We commission a report. We accept the bits we agree with. We reject the bits we don't agree with. What he does is he takes instructions from his trade union paymasters and he cannot accept any changes. He asks what we are doing for the poorest people in our country. It's this government that's taking two million people out of income tax. That is increased tax credits for the poorest that have got more people in work with 600,000 new private sector jobs and has frozen the council tax. His record was completely the opposite. This isn't about the trade unions. It's about millions of people. It's about millions of people. It's about... It's about millions of people up and down this country in fear of their jobs and the only answer this Prime Minister has is make it easier to sack them. And this proposal is a symbol of the government's failure on growth. We're in a double-dip recession. Unemployment is high. Business is going bust. Bad retail sales figures today. Doesn't the Prime Minister understand how out of touch he sounds to families when he said, as he did last week, things are moving in the right direction? I have to tell him this is about the trade unions, and let me tell him why. He, he is getting £900,000 from Unite, and they, they are threatening a bus strike in the Olympics. What have we heard from him? Silence. He is getting £400,000 from the GMB. They are holding a baggage handler strike over the Diamond Jubilee weekend. Absolute silence from him. People need to know you've got two parties on this side of the House acting in the national interest and an opposition party acting in the trade union interest. Let, let's talk about donations. On March the 21st, the Chancellor cuts the top rate of income tax. Then the money comes flooding in from the Tory millionaire donors. It tells you all you need to know about this government. They stand up for the wrong people. He may have changed the image of the Tory party, but the reality hasn't changed. Tax cuts for millionaires, making it easier to sack people. The nasty party is back. It is 
It is this government that's cut corporation tax, that's set up the enterprise zones, that's reforming the planning law, that's boosted the apprenticeships, that's scrapped the Labour's jobs tax, that cut taxes for 24 million working people. And it's only Labour, it is only Labour who think the answer is more borrowing, more spending, more debt, exactly the problems that got us into this mess in the first place. Mr. We will have more, and it will be from Mr. David Mowat. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. In 1993, the IRA bombed Warrington, killing two small boys and injuring over 50 others. Last week, a memorial plaque with a scrap value of about £40 uh, was stolen. The, Prime, uh, the government has already legislated to prevent the sale of scrap metal for cash. Would the Prime Minister consider further legislation? That the, that the theft of memorials such as this is an aggravating factor. Yes. Yeah. I think my honourable friend makes an extremely important point. I know the whole country was shocked by the, by, by the theft of that memorial, and everyone remembers the Warrington bomb and the people that died in that bomb. He's right to say that we've already legislated and we have made this an offence. We're also doing everything we can to sort out the problems of the scrap metal trade. Uh, I'll look at his suggestion of an aggravated offence, but clearly any court in this sort of circumstance is a able to hand out exemplary sentences because of the fact that public justice is important and the public are absolutely appalled by what's happened. John Mann. Question two, Mr Speaker. Uh, There are two ways of measuring youth unemployment. First, the ILO International Labour Organisation definition, which includes both full and part-time students, which is just over a million. Or second, the claimant count, which currently stands at 466,000. Clearly, youth unemployment is too high on either measure, although I note it rose by 40% under the previous government. Recently, it fell by 17,000 in the last quarter. If you look at the claimant count and include people on out-of-work schemes, then the number of young unemployed people has actually fallen since the election. The number of young people unemployed, underemployed and with less opportunities in my constituency has greatly increased in the last year. Therefore, we're setting up today a task force specifically to deal with this increasing scourge. Will the Prime Minister commit the active participation of every relevant government department in our task force work. I certainly will do that because there's vital work to be done to help young unemployed people. What we're finding with all the schemes we have, whether it is the work programme or the youth contract, that probably the most useful thing is actually the work experience scheme because it gives young people a real leg up and experience of the workplace and therefore removes some of the disadvantage they face as against older workers. We're finding that it's got a much, much better record than other schemes and I hope that he'll be able to push that and pioneer that in his constituency with the help of all the agencies, as he says. Mr Gary Streeter. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Did my right honourable friend see figures released last week showing that since May uh, 2010, the number of people waiting for an operation uh, on the National Health Service has fallen uh, by over 50,000? Does this this not demonstrate that our commitment to increased health funding and our health reforms are beginning to bear fruit? 
grateful for, for my honourable friend's question. We did make an important and difficult decision that while other budgets were being cut, we would protect the NHS budget. That was not supported by the party opposite. But the fact is, we now have the best ever performance for patients waiting after 18 weeks. The numbers waiting more than 26 weeks and 52 weeks have also reached record lows. And if you look at average waiting times for both inpatients and outpatients, they are lower than they were in May 2010. The party opposite often asked whether the test should be the, the number of people waiting over 18 weeks. Well, if that was the test, we passed it with flying colours. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Just over a year ago, the Prime Minister launched his flagship export enterprise finance guarantee scheme. We now learn that only five companies have benefited from that scheme. Hard-working businesses in Birmingham who would like to export and cite lack of export finance guarantee as a problem are quite keen to know who those five lucky companies actually are and why that scheme has been such a dismal failure. I was certainly right to the Honourable Lady because the truth is, the truth is that that export, that export scheme has been rolled into the export guarantee scheme more generally and the amount of export support is massively up on the last election in terms of billions of extra money that's being spent. And also the other point I'd make is that exports compared with 2010 were up over 12% last year. Andrea Leadsom. Prime Minister, join me in congratulating the Northamptonshire Parent-Infant Partnership on their sell-out conference on early years intervention last week, where 27 local authorities were represented. And does he agree with me that if we're serious about strengthening our society, then providing psychotherapeutic support for families who are struggling to bond with their new babies is absolutely key? Well, I know that the Honourable Lady speaks with a lot of personal experience, so having set up a project in the county I represent in Oxfordshire that has had a major impact and I think her work does her huge credit. The truth is that all the studies show that real disadvantage for children kicks in right from the moment they are born if they don't get the love and support and help that they need. That's why it's so important the projects that she's talking about. Also the expansion of the health visitors scheme, 4,200 extra health visitors I think can make a real difference and I'd also point out the uh, measure we took last week to make sure that new parents get proper contact and information from their midwife, both before and after the child's born, so we do everything to remove that disadvantage in the early months and years. Mr Nigel Dodds. Will the Prime Minister give an undertaking that he will not succumb to the diktat from the European Court of Human Rights in relation to prisoners voting, that he will stand up for the resolution that was passed in this House by an overwhelming majority, and that he will stand up for the sovereignty of this House and the British people? Well, the short answer to that is yes. I've always believed that when you are sent to prison, you lose certain rights, and one of those rights is the right to vote. And crucially, I believe this should be a matter for Parliament to decide, not not a a foreign court. Parliament has made its decision, and I completely agree with it. Jeremy Lafroy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Today, Alstom is opening in my constituency a new facility for the engineering, manufacturing and export of power electronics, in which Stafford is a world leader. Following the news of the first trade surplus in motor vehicles for more than 30 years, what measures does my right honourable friend consider to be essential to continue and increase investment in manufacturing? Well, I, I very much remember visiting uh, GEC Alstom when I uh, contested his constituency rather unsuccessfully in 1997. But what is absolutely essential for uh, manufacturing, engineering and technology-based businesses like that is the support that we are giving to apprenticeships where we achieved over 450,000 
thousand apprenticeship starts last year, also the lower rate of corporation tax, and the links between our universities and these new catapult centres to make sure technology goes into our businesses and makes them world-beating. And if you look at our exports, not just overall up 12% last year, but exports to India, to China, to fast-growing markets, they're up 20, 30, 40, 50%. Mr Jack drew me. Um, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister pledged to give England's great cities a seat at the heart of government. Yesterday, Labour took control of Birmingham City Council. And the first thing the new council did was to agree to ask the Prime Minister to receive a delegation from the council and Birmingham's MPs on a fair deal for Birmingham. Will the Prime Minister make good his pledge and agree to meet with that delegation? Thank you. Of course, I'm happy to meet with the leaders of Birmingham City Council as I meet with leaders of of councils up up and down the country. And I think what is important is is focusing on what needs to be done in Birmingham to drive economic growth and and to make sure that you provide good services. But I very much hope the new new council will match the record of the old council in providing value for money. Paul Maynard! Child neglect is a sad fact in all of our constituencies, and in Blackpool we are awaiting the sentencing of two parents who have pleaded guilty this week to keeping their ten-year-old son in denuding circumstances in a coal bunker. At the same time, the Charity Action for Children has highlighted the fact that the law on child neglect dates from 1933. The law that corresponds to the demands of modern parenting. Does the Prime Minister not agree it is time to ask the Law Commission to look at this law once again? Well, my honourable friend is, is right to raise this. It was a completely shocking case, and for anyone to try and understand how a parent could treat their child in that way, it is just completely unfathomable. Uh, I'll obviously look at what he says about the Law Commission and modernising the law, but I I would make this point, that in terms of dealing with these appalling cases of of child neglect and where families have completely broken down, we do have so many agencies currently working on this, including crucially social workers, and the most important thing is for there to be a real system of passing on information and passing on concerns rapidly and then acting on those concerns. Just passing another law won't make up for the common sense and action that we require our agencies to deliver. Stella Creasy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I thank the Prime Minister and the Chancellor for joining with so many of their colleagues yesterday in abstaining in voting against the Save Bianca Amendment and ask him, given that 65% of the public want to see caps on the cost of credit, when he thinks his ministers will finally give in and do something about ending legal loan sharking in the UK? Well, as she knows, we have got this new power for the Financial Conduct Agency, which has been established, and also the OFT has powers as well. So I think it's very important to talk to those agencies and make sure that they can act. Christopher Pincher. Yeah. Yeah. The local council tax frozen for two years, the lowest inflation rate in three years, and the biggest monthly fall in local unemployment in five years is great news for job seekers, pensioners, and savers in Tamworth. Agree that low times are tough and much still needs to be done. This government and this country are on the right track. Clearly, we are we do face uh, difficult economic times, and we'll go on in a minute to talk about 
the growth plans that are required in Europe. But what we have to do in this country is rebalance our economy that have become over-reliant on the public sector, over-reliant on financial services, not fairly spread around the country, and we need a growth of the private sector, of manufacturing technology, and we need it more fairly spread across the country, including in the area he represents. What you see from the employment figures is, yes, a decline in public sector employment, which frankly would be inevitable whoever was in power right now, but the 600,000 net new jobs in the private sector shows that some firms are expanding and growing, and we must be on their side. Ian Wright. Thank you, Mr Speaker. (laughs) Unemployment in Hartlepool and the North East is higher now than it was in May 2010. How much of that increase is down to his government's policies? The point I made to his honourable friend, the member for Bassett Law, is the last government excluded from the unemployment numbers people who are on temporary employment schemes. We include those people. People on the work programme are included in the unemployment numbers. We measure these things accurately. And if you compare like for like, youth unemployment has actually fallen since the election. Dr Julian Hupper. Thank you, you, Mr Speaker. Britain has an excellent track record in scientific research and development, despite historically low levels of funding. For this to continue and to continue to drive so much economic growth, sustained funding is required. Can the Prime Minister assure me that this will be delivered for this Parliament and the next comprehensive spending review? Well, obviously I can't uh, bind the hands of the next comprehensive spending review, but we did make an important decision in this comprehensive spending review, which was to protect the science budget. It would have been an easy target for reductions, and perhaps we could have spent that money on politically more attractive things, but we decided to take the long-term view to save the science budget because it's a key part of Britain's future. Chris Evans. The Home Office recently announced that 800 police, frontline police officers will be cut in Wales, while Jeff Maps, who is the chair of the Welsh Police Federation, says that's going to be closer to 1,600, which will be the equivalent of the entire Gwent police force. Who is right? Well, the truth is that whoever was uh, in government right now would be having to make cuts to police budgets. And that is what the, the, the Labour Party has committed to a billion pound cut in the police budget. We have made reductions in police budgets. The key to having police officers on the streets is to cut the paperwork, reform the pensions and deal with the pay issues. We have the courage to do that and his party should support it as well. Mike Weatherly. Last weekend, the squatters' network of Brighton and Hove invited their anarchist friends from around Europe to campaign what they, against what they call Weatherly's Law. Would the Prime Minister condemn with me the Green Party's support for uh, squatters and welcome, like I do, the criminalisation of squatting? I certainly support what he says. I think this law was long overdue. I think it's very important that homeowners have proper protection from people effectively stealing their property, which is what squatting is. It is a criminal act, and it's now a criminal offence. Keith Baz. Last week, it was revealed that officials at the UKBA received bonuses of £3.5 million. Pounds. What for? Given the horrendous queues at our airports, the fact that 100,000 files have now been archived by the UKBA and 185 people have absconded in the last six months having given limited leave. Can I ask the Prime Minister, does he agree, in future we should be rewarding success, not failure? 
I completely agree with the honourable gentleman, right honourable gentleman, and there is absolutely no place in the modern civil service for a presumption of good performance. I do believe in actually paying people bonuses if they perform well and they meet their targets, but if they don't perform well and don't meet their targets, they shouldn't get a bonus. In terms of Heathrow and our airports, I think it's vitally important that we continue to make progress. This is an urgent issue for Britain. It's vital for our trade. It's vital for inward investment that people have a decent experience when they arrive at our airports. We've got a new control room opening at Heathrow this month. There's extra 80 staff for peak times at Heathrow. An extra 480 people will come on stream during the Olympic period. But I'm still not satisfied that we need to do more, including more this week and next week, to really get on top of this problem. My constituents in Bromsgrove are relieved to learn that this government has already cleared one quarter of the record irresponsible deficit left by the party. They understand that you cannot keep spending what you do not earn. But what they would also like to know is has the Prime Minister received just one quarter of an apology from the party? Honourable friend makes a good point, and I, I noticed that uh, the party opposite didn't really want to go anywhere near the International Monetary Fund today, and perhaps that's because of something else the Director General said yesterday. You have to compare the British deficit situation with, against other countries which experienced severe deficit numbers, did not take action right away, and are now facing very, very stressful financing terms that is putting their situation in jeopardy. We would have been in jeopardy if we hadn't taken the brave steps that we took. Very necessary they were too. Electoral Commission figures show that the Conservatives got over half a million pounds already this year from people who are attending uh, secret soirees at Downing Street or Chequers. Is, is the reason the Prime Minister is out of touch? He listens to these cliques rather than decent, hard-working people like those in Scunthorpe. <laughs> There's a very big difference between the money that the Conservative Party raises from business and individuals and the money Labour get from unions. The, the money the Labour Party gets from unions determines your policies, sponsors your members of Parliament and elects your leaders. They own you lock, stock and block vote. Quite certain Conservative backbenchers wish to hear Mr. Stephen Williams. Mr. Speaker, the, the coalition government has restored order and stability to the public finances. And has therefore, and has therefore won us international confidence. Is it not now the right, right time in order to put renewed effort and vigour into returning growth into the economy by the government facilitating and guaranteeing investment in housing and infrastructure? Yeah. Well, I think the Honourable Gentleman is entirely right, and I'm sure that he welcomes the Enterprise Zone in Bristol and also the support for the animation and television industries. What we need to do, both in Britain and Europe, is to combine the fiscal deficit reduction, which has given us the low interest rates, with an active monetary policy, with structural reforms to make us competitive, and with innovative ways of using our hard-won credibility, which we wouldn't have if we listened to the muttering idiot sitting opposite me. Um, 
about the health of the health minister, who's so overexcited he might suffer a relapse. And I'm a compassionate chap. I don't want that to happen. But the Prime Minister will please withdraw the word idiot. It's unparliamentary. A simple withdrawal will suffice. We're grateful. Of course, I I will replace it. I will replace it with the man who left us this enormous deficit and this financial crisis. The Prime Minister announced that his government had created 500,000 private sector jobs. After two years, he's now giving us the figure of 600,000 since the election. Why has the rate of growth slowed down so much? There were 100,000 extra people in employment over the last quarter, and in the last two months we've seen repeated falls in unemployment and increases in employment, and I would have thought the Honourable Lady would want to welcome that. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Mr Speaker, with with unemployment down in Lancaster last week, I visited A&G Precision Engineering in Preezall in my constituency, a company of only 40 family-run employees who supply the Hawk jet, high-precision work that goes nationally and internationally, and told me they'd turn two work experience places into full-time company-paid apprentices. Doesn't this show that things are moving in the right direction in Lancashire? Well, I'm grateful for what he says, and I'm sure he'll be pleased as well with the order that British uh, BAE Systems have for Hawk Aircraft today from Saudi Arabia, which is more good news for British jobs, for British investment and British aerospace. Frank Field. Some of our constituents would be hungry today if it was not for the work of Food Bank and similar organisations in our constituencies. If current trends continue, Food Bank reckon that by the next election they will be feeding half a million of our constituents. Might I I therefore ask uh, the Prime Minister, before he completes his engagements today, he might plan what the government might do to counter this terrible trend and report back to the House. Well, well, first of all, let me join the right honourable member in welcoming what Food Bank do and the work that they do. And I visited uh, one of the sites myself to see what they do. But I think what is absolutely vital is that in these difficult economic times, we do what we can to protect the poorest people in our country. And that is why we have frozen the council tax, we've increased the basic state pension, and we uprated benefits in line with inflation, which has protected people who need protection the most. Yes, we have had to cut. Uh, the tax credits from those people on 30, 40, 50,000, but we've actually increased the tax credits that the poorest people receive. Mr. Philip Davis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The, uh, the Prime Minister and I might not agree about everything, but we do agree about certain things. For example, we both agree that I should never be promoted. <laughs> what? One thing that we also agree about is that the, necessary, the need to put public sector pensions on a sustainable and affordable footing. Yeah. But in that context, judges are being asked to pay just 2% of their salary towards their pension, whereas the taxpayer pays 33%. That's neither affordable nor sustainable. Given the increases in pension contributions we're expected from other lower-paid public sector workers, will the Prime Minister make sure that we apply the same uh, tests and the same uh, requirements on judges too? Manuel Friend makes an important point. What I would say to him is that judicial pensions have always been treated separately because of... 
uh, because of what judges uh, do for our country, but in terms of public sector pensions more generally, what we've managed to do, what we've managed to do, giving a reply to a serious question, let's hear it with a degree of respect and restraint. The Prime Minister. We need a separate judicial pensions bill under the last government before... Uh, but what we've done with public sector pensions more generally is actually reduce by half the future cost, but while maintaining a public sector pension system that is more generous than people are able to access in the private sector. As for his earlier remarks, uh, I've got plans for the Honourable Gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> Mr Michael McCann. Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker. The House will be relieved to know I don't intend to go into any of that, but I do want to hear Mr McCann. Mr Speaker, prison officer, naval husband, abused young men in the Mendelsley Detention Centre for decades before he was prosecuted and sentenced for some of his crimes. A constituent who was abused by husband has given me information which suggests that senior figures in the establishment knew what was going on. The CPS refuses to pursue these matters and instead the Home Office has sought to issue compensation payments. Mr Speaker, young men were detained by the state and then they were abused by the state. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that a full inquiry is necessary to ensure that justice is done and is seen to be done? Well, I think the first thing that the Honourable Gentleman should do, and I'm sure he, he already has, is make sure that any evidence he has of abuse or of cover-ups of abuse or c- compliance with abuse is given to the Crown Prosecution Service and given to the authorities so it can be properly investigated. The Home Affairs Select Committee, on which, which I sat, actually looked into this issue uh, in years gone past, made a number of recommendations, so I'll look carefully at what the Honourable Gentleman said and see if there's more advice I can provide. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.